Well, you had a little discussion before on what the mark of success is, and I'm really interested in your answers. You've already discussed with each other, so I'm just wondering whether you might be willing to share with the rest of us what you discussed. What are the marks of success? Anybody willing to share with us from your discussions? So is it that kind of university we're allowed to share? I, I don't know. I mean, you know it's a, lots of what? money. Lots of money. Yeah, lots of money. Mark of success. Any other thoughts? High distinctions. High distinctions. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. Uh, interesting what countries you come from. That actually, that's another story. Yes. <laughs> other things at all? Happiness. Happiness. Yeah, yeah. One last thing. Anybody else want to share? Anything else? Lots of friends. Yeah. So they're the marks of success, aren't they? In many people's eyes. I, th I broke it down into achievement, you know, a prestigious university degree as well. Obviously, something like nursing or teaching from Deakin University, that would be very prestigious. Or acquiring a high-paying job as well. Uh, sport, you know, great at tennis or soccer or basketball or dancing or skiing or curling. Do you know what curling is? Yeah, some of you do. You can look it up sometime. Um, maybe it's something like being a musician, you know, playing several instruments, getting a what people call an AMUS at the age of 15. If you don't know what that means, you really are a no-hoper. You know, that is a mark of success to understand something like that, let alone achieve something like that. And certainly in our world today, I take it, it's image, isn't it? Having the right circle of friends, a good-looking girlfriend or boyfriend... A uh, car that you drive that has a particular logo. I have a friend who came from a uh, part of the world where it was important to drive um, BMW. So she managed to find a BMW. It didn't work, but it was important that a BMW was the car that she owned. And labels that you have on your clothes, having the right body shape, whatever it is, there are all sorts of areas in life which mark out success. Well, in that part of the Bible that Kathleen read out for us, which is known as Mark's Gospel, a biography of Jesus written by this man named Mark, we meet two of Jesus' disciples who wanted success. They wanted success with the most successful person on the planet, namely Jesus. And look how they sort it out. So if you look at the sheet there and you look at that first sentence... It says, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, that is Jesus. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Whatever we ask. They wanted Jesus to give them whatever they wanted. Now, what would you think of someone who asked you to give them whatever they wanted? Now, this is must the most... Selfish request possible, isn't it? And yet Jesus kindly responds, look at that small number 36 or verse 36. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. And they replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. That is, they want the best seats in glory. To sit at the right hand of Jesus, to sit at the left hand of Jesus, the most successful person on the planet. Now, please note that where you sit really matters, doesn't it? You ever been to a wedding reception? Hands up if you've not been to a wedding reception. 
Wow, you're all successful. You've been to a wedding reception, right? <laughs> now, at a wedding reception, normally they have the bride and groom and their bridal party at the bridal table, don't they? And the closer you are to the bridal table, well, the more important you are, aren't you? You know, you're not one of them like me who sits right at the back sometimes and kind of need binoculars to look at the bridal couple. But, you know, the further away you are, you know, the kind of less significance, dare I say, you are to the bridal couple. But don't feel offended. You're, at least you were invited and you're at the reception, right? But that's kind of table seating that we can actually recognise even in our day-to-day. But it's kind of like, you know, sitting your right hand and left hand, it's kind of like asking Malcolm Turnbull to be his treasurer and deputy to be in the most powerful positions in the land, in the world, in the universe, in the heavens and the earth when it comes to this man called Jesus. But the world is full of Jameses and Johns, people who seek prestige, people who seek status and glory. That is, people who in one way or another want to gain the whole world. And in one sense, that can come out in all sorts of ways, can't it? A desire to be thought well of, in other words. Let's be honest, we all want to be thought well of, don't we? I mean, who wants to be hated? Who wants to be thought lowly of? We all want to be thought well of, don't we? And what's the mark of being thought well of these days? Is it the number of likes on your Facebook post? Or WeChat, or whatever it is that you use by way of your social media? The number of followers, the number of positive comments about our photos, our selfies... Or just a good reputation by word of mouth, even if you're not on social media. Whatever it is, it's a desire for a good reputation. But for James and John, this selfish ambition also reflected a desire for power. A desire for power. To sit at Jesus' right hand and left hand wasn't a seat on the floor or on stools, but on thrones of power. They loved the thought of power. That's why Jesus says in that small number 42, come down, it's in that last paragraph, the second sentence of that last paragraph, 42 there, Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. You see, deep down inside, they wanted this power to sit at the right hand and left hand of Jesus, which Jesus is warning them of. But deep down inside, we love power too. Don't we? I mean, it may not manifest in wanting to sit at the right hand and left hand of Malcolm Turnbull. Uh, You may not like Malcolm Turnbull, for starters. But it comes out in other ways. Power. Because what is the reflection of power in this world in the end? What do you think reflects power? Anybody? Real question. Striving to go up the ranks in your job. Yeah, so a particular status in your job will reflect power. So power to be able to influence those who are under you. Yep. On the world scale, there are people who are looking for power, aren't they? How are they seeking to reflect their power? Going to the gym every day. Did you say something? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. (laughs) But what is the world gym got to do with? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) 
it's got to do with um, military might. Uh, Donald Trump's kind of exercised a bit of power around the world at the moment, isn't he, by moving his navy in particular places, dropping the mother of all bombs in Syria. That's kind of power. But what it is for, for you and me today? Where do we find power? Well, it could be going to the gym, yeah, exercising some muscle, but it could be other things too. Even those of us who, well, don't go to the gym, we have power. Where's the power seeming? But money. You think about that. Isn't money something that gives you power? How is it that Donald Trump can marry someone that looks like a model? I mean, it's, it's power, isn't it? It's got to do with money. It's money that gives you power. And what is it about money that gives you power, though? Well, the Bible says the love of money is something that we can actually exercise. But what does it mean to love money and have power of money? What do you do with money? Yeah, I've got a $10 note, very powerful person I am. I don't know. But is it because I love money that makes me powerful? And what does it mean to love money anyway? Is it to, you know, kind of just go, mm, mm, mm. oh, I love money, you know? What, what, what does it mean to do with money? Yeah. What is it about money that makes you powerful? Well, it's the influence of money, isn't it? You go to a restaurant, and what happens? They wait on you, they wash your dishes for you, and you give them money. I remember going to a place where we, they sold cars, uh, I was looking for a second-hand car at the time, but a friend of mine persuaded me that it was actually more cost-effective to buy a brand-new car, which in the end would only be $1,000 more, but far more cost-effective. And so, interestingly, when I was looking for a second-hand car, the, the salespeople actually just said, oh, yeah, go and look at it yourself, they're over there. When I said I was interested in a brand-new car, they ushered me into their office, gave me coffee and tea. I was treated like royalty. Why? Because I had more money when I talked about a brand-new car. Do you see Money gives us power. And in the end, that's how we can do that today. It's a desire for power. And I wonder whether we have that innate desire within ourselves. For James and John, there's also a desire for comfort and security. That's why they so easily say, look at the small number 38. It says, um, uh, pick up 37. Uh, they, they reply, let, us, uh, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. And Jesus says, you don't know what you are asking. Can you drink the cup that I drink or be baptized of the baptism that I am baptized with? Oh, we can, they answered. You know, they so easily think that they can, but they have no idea what they're asking for in the end. You know, when Jesus says they have to drink the cup that he drinks and be baptized with the baptism that he is baptized with, they're probably thinking of this being luxury. Luxury for successful people because that's what successful people do get baptized with Jesus in the end. Drink the cup that he drinks. Drink the cup of royalty that he drinks. Oh, by the way, turn off your mobile phones in case they ring, won't you? Um, yeah, that's right. But it wasn't. That's why we very, they very quickly say, Oh, we're able. Right? We're able to join you in this baptism. We're able to drink with you because here is comfort, here is security. But they have no idea what it involves. If they did, I don't think they would have actually spoken so quickly. But just before we look at what it really means, look at how the other ten disciples responded. If you go back to the beginning of the last paragraph there, small number 41, verse 41, when the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Indignant. We don't really use the word indignant, do we, in our vocab 
on a regular basis. Hey guys, I'm indignant today. You know, I mean, we don't quite, it just doesn't come out like that, does it, in our vocab. But what does indignant mean? It means they were spewing. That's what it means, right? They, they were put out. They were annoyed. They were outraged. Why were they indignant? Oh, it's not because they thought James and John were being naughty, even though they kind of did that. Rather, it's because they were jealous that James and John got in first. Like them, they wanted success. Like them, they wanted power. Like them, they wanted comfort and security. And in the end, isn't that what we want too? I mean, deep down inside, we want that, don't we? Security, comfort, that might come in different ways. The kind of ways that we talked about before, whether it's money or whether it's high distinctions or whether it's happiness. But deep down inside, we want that. And that's kind of like being monkeys. Monkeys? What do you mean by monkeys? I don't know whether this is true. Hands up if you know how to catch a monkey. Anybody know how to catch a monkey? Okay. Let me tell you what I've been told. So, because you don't know, I've been told this, I must be the authority on catching monkeys. Yeah? I was told that this is what they do. I don't know if it's true, but let's go with the illustration anyway. Apparently, you, you put some food in a cage, and what the monkey will do is put their hand into the cage and grab the food, banana say, but then it can't get out because it's clenched its fist. The only way it can get out is by releasing that banana and sliding the hand back out. We're like monkeys, aren't we? We want that power, whatever it is. Whether it's the HD, whether it's the money, whether it's the social media, whether it's the boyfriend or girlfriend, whatever it is, that mark of success that's going to give me power, that's going to give me comfort, security, that's what we hang on to. But Jesus says elsewhere that whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. So in the end, he said, what are they doing? They're seeking to hang on to it. And forfeit, in the end, their very souls. Because, you see, to long for that as the mark of success, in the end, is to long for satisfaction and identity in something or someone other than the one who can give us true satisfaction. In the one who can give us true success, as it were. But we'll come back to what that means, what that looks like, you see. See, for Jesus, what is true success? For Jesus, success involves service to the point of death. To drink the cup that Jesus drank, to be baptised with the baptism that he is baptised with, meant to experience what he experiences. And for Jesus, what did he experience? Well, it meant dying. For Jesus, it meant living and dying and dying the death that you and I deserve. Because, you see, we deserve to be separated from the one who gives us life. Because in the end, if we choose to offend God by seeking to live for something or someone other than God, then in the end, we are offending the one who gives us life. 
We think success is found in something that God created rather than in serving the very one who created us. And that's an offence. And if we say, we don't want God ruling our lives, we want to run our own lives, our own way without Him, then in the end that is death, to give up on the one who gives us life. It's to choose death. But what Jesus does is take upon himself the death that we deserve, to take upon himself why the judgment that we deserve. And what Jesus did was take upon himself all the anger of God that you and I deserve. So that all the anger that should have been poured out on you and me is turned aside from us unto Jesus instead of us so that we can be saved so that we can come back into a right relationship with God as our creator and Jesus as our God, Jesus as our king. For that's the mark of success in the end, to live the way we were created to live with Jesus as the one who rules our life, with Jesus as the one who is number one of our life because he is our creator and if he knows the best way to live, then living his way is the best way to live. But in the end, we treat Jesus as he deserves to be treated. Oh, the disciples were to die, but not like Jesus. Because Jesus came, look at the small number 45, the very last sentence it says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Please notice that this passage which highlights the desire of James and John to gain the whole world ends with this very text. It is by seeing Jesus, who had the whole world made for him, dying for the world as a ransom for men. As a payment that is made for others. A payment extracted in his own death for you and me. This one who rules the universe. This one who is the most successful one in the world because he is the one who created this world. He is the son of man who rules this world and he gives and gives and gives to the point of dying for you and me. His name was David Wallace. He drove a truck and he was killed in an accident as he was driving his truck to Queensland from New South Wales. The local newspaper described him as the bravest man in the world. Apparently during a school holiday, David Wallace's 11-year-old son went with him in the truck and the truck avoided an oncoming car and turned over. And when it turned over, when the police came and the ambulance came later on, they heard this 11-year-old boy wailing, but it was muffled. Because when they came, they discovered that David Wallace had thrown himself upon his son to protect his son from the inferno that had erupted from the engine that had blown up. That's exactly what Jesus did, you see. He took upon himself the flames of hell, as it were, in taking upon himself the anger of God instead of you and me. On the cross, Jesus put himself between God's anger and us. So how will you respond to this? Well, the only way you can respond... Well, there's a couple of ways, really. You can either trust yourself 
to get on in this life for success. Or you can trust the one who is the only one who knows what success is to give you what is true success. But you can't trust in your own success to save you in the end. You know, when you face God on the day of judgment and you ask, why should I let you into my heaven? What will you say? Oh, because I went to one of the best universities in Melbourne. That's going to get you in. Because I've got a great job. Because I've cared to others. Because I've been successful. I've done something better than someone else. Oh, in the end, that's not going to stand. Because in this sense, our success is like that of like a worm rolling around in the sand and saying, well, I'm better off than the other worm that is next to you. I've rolled around in the dirt more than you. That's, that's almost what it's like to say that I can get in on the basis of my human success. If you could get in on the basis of your success, why did Jesus come into the world in the first place? Why would God send his son to die the death that you and I deserve if we could get in on our own? It makes no sense, does it? The only reason Jesus was sent into the world was to give his life as a ransom for many. There is no other way to be saved. The only way to be saved was through the success of Jesus, through his death, his resurrection, for us. And if you haven't turned to Jesus to save you, and I'm saying, please do. Please do. For Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Jesus came as the Son of Man not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So what about you? It may be that you're not convinced about any of this. And that's totally fine. But can I urge you to find out more? In a moment I'm going to ask you all to fill this particular connect thing out. And I'll explain that in a moment. But one of the boxes you can see is I can learn more about Jesus. And we'd love you to perhaps read a biography about Jesus. Find out more about Jesus. But I think it's going to be explained later. But I hope I'm not doing the wrong thing by telling you that tonight uh, in location HD 3.008. Gosh, that sounds like a subject that you would study. But in that location, we are running something called the Mark Drama which is a performance of this biography of Jesus, in which you will see this scene amongst all of it. And it's free, and you can actually see the drama of Mark, uh, well, this, this biography of Mark, performed. Uh, it's a very good performance. I've, uh, I've seen some of the rehearsals, and I think you'd really appreciate it. And it's one that you can go and check out and see the life of Jesus for yourself. See what it's like. Find out there's nothing. You can't lose anything by watching a performance, my goodness sake. It'll be a great thing to do. Bring your friends along. It'll be a terrific time. And I, I really do commend it to you to find out more. That's something you could do. Tick that box later on when I invite you to do that and find out more. And we'd love to read the Bible with you. We'd love you to ask your questions of us. We'd love you to find out whatever you can to see if this is true. I mean, it's, it's worth finding out, isn't it? But... The other thing is, this is just for those of you who perhaps have come here recognising for the first time that this is true, but you haven't done anything about it. You know it's true, 
It may be that you've been coming to this group for months. It may be that this is the first time you just walked in because of the chalkboard that you saw outside, which looked ever so fine. Chalk paint, I understand. That's wonderful. It may be that you've come in because you've seen that, but whatever it is, you know that you need to do business with God. And you can do that simply by coming before God in prayer and recognising your needs before him to be forgiven for seeking your own success and only relying on the success of Jesus to save you. I've written a prayer here that you can pray if you think this is a prayer that is appropriate for you. But I want to read it out to you so you know what I'm inviting you to pray with me. It goes like this, Dear God, please forgive me for seeking my own success in defiance against you. Thank you for sending Jesus to die my death and rise again. And please help me to live for him as my Lord and my God from now on. You hear the substance of the prayer? It's just coming out. I've just turned the, the thoughts of this passage from this biography into prayer. And if it's something that you would like to pray, because you know this is where you're at today, then I'm going to invite you to pray it with me. And I'm going to do that by praying it sentence by sentence. And if this is your prayer your prayer to be saved, your prayer to become a Christian for the first time, then please echo it, the words of this prayer, in your head and your heart to God in silence. And let me assure you, God will answer. So please, if this is your prayer, please pray with me. Dear God, Please forgive me for seeking my own success in defiance against you. Thank you for sending Jesus to die my death and rise again. Please help me to live for him as my Lord and my God from now on. Amen. Amen simply means I mean it. If you did pray that prayer for the first time to become a Christian, then please know that God has answered. And the Bible actually says that the angels are rejoicing even now. I don't know how you feel. It doesn't really matter how you feel. What matters is that you did it. And so I want to invite you to do a couple of things right at this point. I understand there's questions and answers, and I'm really happy to take those questions, and you can... Ring that, ring, not ring that number, text that number with two questions, but you just put up your hands as well. I hope I'm not scary enough such that you can uh, still put up your hand. But 
But I'd like us all at the same time, you might be thinking about questions, so hang on to those and we'll ask those questions. But in the meantime, all, all of us can do, I hope you don't mind me asking you to do this, if all of you can grab out a pen and start writing down something, just for the sake of the person next to you. Okay, so this is a service for the person next to you, not so much for you necessarily. If you don't want to write anything down, if you just scribble anything down, you can even write a poem, write a limerick, so you just write something down, just for the sake of the person next to you. Uh, so that the person next to you or you yourself can actually fill out one of these boxes. You can tick one of these boxes, learning more about Jesus, finding a church, reading the Bible, joining an engaged group. Um, all the, and obviously, if you would like us to get in contact with you, then write down your details as clearly as you can so that we don't get bounces back because of illegibility or blindness on our part. But whatever it is, you write it as clearly as you can. That would be most helpful for us. So we'd love to help you, but this is the way you can help us. Okay. So if everybody's writing something down, uh, you can do that. And in the meantime, I'll also take questions. So anybody got a question? Yeah, you want to ask a question? you explain when James and John ask to be... Yeah, I think in their, in their understanding at this point, to be inglorious and to be that position of power uh, when Jesus comes back again. He'd already taught that he was going to die, rise, and one day return. And at that point, it would be glorious. There will be no more sin, no more death, no more tears. Uh, it's glory is when things are as they were meant to be, uh, when the end comes. I think that's what they're thinking about. But they're not recognising that the path to that glory is suffering. Even though Jesus had said it over... In fact, Jesus said just before this part of Scripture, he had said, predicted that it was going to be the case, but they still don't get it, you see. Yeah, it's the same with us. It's kind of like, you know, getting... I don't know, if you go overseas and you need to go to a part of the world where you need immunisations, you kind of think, yeah, yeah, but in the end you don't realise that's going to be painful until you get the doctor getting it. But it's far worse, yeah. So I think that's the glory he's referring to. Any other questions or comments? Which you can text in or... Yes, Kathleen. What does it mean to be satisfied in Jesus? Yeah, that's a great question. What does it mean to be satisfied in Jesus? I take it what it means to be satisfied in Jesus is to recognise that we don't need any more than, uh, than being in a relationship with him and what he provides for us. Um, that is, I'm not longing to have my needs met by other things because my identity is in Him. And we all have needs. Uh, now, don't get me wrong, it doesn't mean that you don't need food now, you know, or anything like that. You will, but Jesus provides that and you will trust Jesus to provide that. Yeah. Uh, and it may be that there are needs in all sorts of ways. It's just that I'm not longing for a boyfriend or girlfriend to meet those deepest needs. Jesus has met my deepest needs. Um, not for a reputation to meet those deepest needs. Jesus meets my deepest needs. I think that's what it's about. And can I say that from that standpoint, it frees me up to actually serve. He came to give his life as a ransom for many, to be, not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. If, if we become Christians and we live for Jesus as our saviour, then the life of a Christian is actually seen in service. Not because the service will save them, but because that is what it's like to be a Christian. And, and therefore, if my deepest needs are met in Jesus, then even if someone offends me, I can still serve that person because my deepest needs are met. 
They're not met in the person liking me. They're not met in the person being happy with me. No, they're met in Jesus, so I can keep living life. And we're all going to go through suffering and hard times. But if Jesus has forgiven me of everything, if Jesus has brought me back into a right relationship with Him, if Jesus is the one who gives me everything that I need by way of godliness and salvation and life, and I know I can trust Him for everything in life, no matter what I go through, then that's what it means to be satisfied in How are we going for time, Jason? Are we going okay? Yeah. Any, any other questions or comments? Well, let me part by, again, encouraging you to come along to the Mark drama. Uh, you've heard just a snippet, but when you actually see the whole biography of Jesus acted out, when you see or the person of Jesus, he acted out... I think you will actually stand amazed. Even if you've read the account and you feel really familiar with the Bible, even if you're one of those kinds of people, let me assure you that it just is another way of appreciating the whole drama of who Jesus is and what he has done. Uh, It'll be a terrific time in which you can again reflect on the goodness of this person and what he has done in his death and resurrection. And if you want to find out more please do that and please hand these in as Jason instructs us.